You do. All right. Eli, I need your help, please. Sam, I think I need you to help me with this, too. All right. Okay. Eli, uh, go ahead and stand right over there. Sam, stand right here. It's, it's fine. Okay. All right. Eli, this is a $100 bill. Okay. Just pretend it's a $100 bill. Okay. Are you ready? What is this? You got it. Sam, this is a $100 bill. I want you to hang on to that for dear life. Grip it tightly. Okay. Something like this. Okay. Really give it a good, a good, a good hold. Okay. Is that your hand real tight? Do I need to get someone else? Okay. All right, Eli, I want you to take that $100 bill from Sam. Get a hold of it. Really get it. Eli, I need you to try a little harder. Okay, are you going to be able to get that, or is that pretty? Okay, you want me to tickle him a little? Okay. All right. Okay, let's try this again. Now, this time, Sam, I want you to just lay it flat in your hand. Okay. Look at that. Man, that was amazing. You guys were perfect. Let's give them a round of applause. Oh, that was wonderful performance. You can keep the $100 bill if you want it. All right, that's great. Thank you, guys. Uh, there's a little point to that. Um, it's really a simple illustration this morning uh, to talk about being open-handed or tight-fisted. We're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic today. We're going to talk about money. I don't get to talk about that enough, but uh, this morning we're going to think about our hearts uh, towards the poor. We're going to think about our life together as a community and what we can do to shine the light brightly by loving one another well. And so I'm excited to share with you this morning from Deuteronomy 15, if you would open with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for the worship that's been uh, already shared and expressed, uh, Lord, through praise of who you are and what you've done and you say that we are as yours. Now, Lord, in light of this truth, in light of being accepted, uh, and in light of being loved by you, uh, Lord, you call us to love others. And one of the ways you express that to us, Lord, is to care for the people in our church family. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be attentive to you and your spirit. Just as Kevin reminded us today, that we would be quick to listen to you. Lord, so we open our hearts and our minds to you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. In our text this morning, we're in Deuteronomy 15, and we're going to read some of it and, and take breaks here and there and just kind of understand what's going on with the text. But understanding and remembering Deuteronomy is a book for the Israelites. It's the last book of the Torah. Last week, we were encouraged that we were uh, accepted by God, that he has set his affection towards us that he cares deeply for us, and it is out of response to that, that God loves us, that we in turn go out and love others. And so Deuteronomy 15 sort of, uh, it picks up kind of in the middle of the story, and, and there's a big transition that happens in chapters 11 and 12 uh, as it starts progressing towards what are the laws that are going to make up this community. And so uh, I'm just sort of picking and choosing some things that I think will really make a relevant connection to our world uh, today and our life in the church. Uh, so this is one of my favorite passages because it speaks of a day that I think we all hope for, the day of canceling debts. 
You know, so if you woke up this morning and you took a look at the bank account and, uh, and you're like, okay, you know, it's a little tight this morning, uh, or, and you think about all the debts that you have, and just tomorrow, tomorrow is the start of the Sabbath year, we're going to cancel all of your debts. That seems like a great day. Your mortgage is paid for. The bank called you and said, hey, good job. Uh, we don't want any more of your money. That would be a pretty great day, wouldn't it? Sorry, that's not happening. But uh, let's look at the text. Let's look at what, what God had intended for his people, the Israelites. And he says, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. And this is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall no longer require payment from anyone among their own people because the, because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. That, that little opening illustration, there was a point to it. The canceling of debts is the releasing of control, the releasing of their hands, the opening of their hands. The releasing of debts and the canceling of debts is God's way of saying it is time to be open-handed and no longer tight-fisted. It's time to be open-handed to the poor and care for them. This is a lesson to the Israelites. They, they are familiar with Sabbath. And when we speak of Sabbath, we think of, perhaps we think of Saturdays, a day of rest, a day to, uh, to not work, and uh, a day to honor God. Because God worked for six days and he rested on the seventh. We are instructed and told the, about the Sabbath, or we have some sense about what it is. It's a day of rest. Well, this is the Sabbath year. And so every six years on the seventh year is the Sabbath year. They also went so far as they created the year of Jubilee. It was the seventh of seven Sabbath years. So it was every 49 years, and there was debate if it was the 49th year or the 50th year, and it doesn't really matter uh, because they actually never, they, there's not really a recorded history of the Jubilee ever happening. Like they never like stuck to anything long enough to actually fulfill it, which is like, you know, it gives me a little hope that maybe I'm not so terrible either. You know, I'm in good company, right? That, but uh, they didn't, you know, so maybe that's true, maybe it's not. It's not really, they're not really certain about the Jubilee year, but this Sabbath year was something that they were trying to implement. And if they really implemented it, it was a way of creating an ethical code to care for the people among them and release people from debt and captivity. You think about what God has drawn them out of. He has taken them out of Egypt, and he doesn't want any sort of semblance of what they were enduring as a, uh, slaves to Egypt. They were indebted to Egypt. They were, in, they were slaves to them. They had no land that was their own. And God is taking them from this place and saying, this is yours, this belongs to you, and you might find yourself in situations where your land and your life is indebted to someone else, and God is wanting to set them free. And so he establishes that on the seventh year, you may uh, now begin the releasing of debts and the canceling of debts. Treat one another with an open hand. He says curiously in verse 3, you may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes that you can still charge the foreigner, 
This is speaking towards the sort of radical identity that God wants for the Israelites. That the way they care for one another is a witness to the watching world. That the way they function as a nation, the way they treat one another, not holding debts over one another, that this would be a witness to the world. However, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and he will, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. God is saying, if you guys follow this, this is going to work out well for you. But if you don't, well, there's going to be problems. Release the debts. Care for one another. Don't let any, any poor be among you. And this is a way that we can guarantee that, that if you would forgive people their debts, cancel their debts, and care for one another, this could really work. In verse 7, if anyone is poor among you, among your fellow Israelites, in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. That was, that was Sam. He was hard-hearted and tight-fisted. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. I don't know what translation you are reading, but... Be careful that you do not show ill will. Uh, if you have a King James Version, it'll talk about the eye, that you don't give them an evil eye, that you don't close your eyes to the poor. Uh, it's Proverbs 28, 23, or it's 23, 28, I forget which, but it says if you close your eyes to the, uh, or be, uh, be quick to give to the poor, but if you close your eyes to the poor, if you close your eyes to them, close your eyes to their needs, then it'll be cursed for you. We are called to open our eyes. Uh, you might read, show ill will as, give them the old stink eye, you know, like your mom would give you when you're in trouble, or you think, look down on them, or look evil, evil towards the poor. He says, open your eyes to them. See the needs around you. See the needs of the people and, and the hurting and the suffering. Be careful not to have this thought Hey, it's the sixth year, the seventh year is coming. Here's someone who is really hurting and really having a hard time. Be careful. Moses knows the heart so well. Or God, or God inspiring Moses, or however that works out. That they would have this sense to say, you know, the day of Sabbath year is coming. I'm not going to give them $100 because I'm not ever going to see that $100 back. He says, don't have that attitude. God's freely given to you. You need to freely give as well. There's someone who's in need. You need to also, uh, there is a sense of obligation, a sense to care, a sense to love, to be open-handed, to not be greedy, but to be generous and loving. It says in verse 10, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. 
Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you and all your work and everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow servants who are poor and needy in your land. One of the things I, when I went back and when reading through the text, it was just kind of thinking about how we should care for others. And you think about kind of like a whole 100% effort, you know, give it, give it your all. God tells us that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I would say that Deuteronomy 15 is teaching us to love others with our eyes, being open and seeing what the needs are. I think it's instructing us to love others and care for others with an open heart, not to have a, uh, but to have a soft heart, not a hardened heart to others. I think God is uh, teaching us here that we should have open hands that are generous and kind instead of tight-fisted. And so God is calling us to love others with all that we are, with our eyes, with our heart, with our mind, with our strength, with everything that's in us to care for and love for others. There is a transition at the end of this section, and then it turns towards not just the care for the poor, but it is also an appeal to care for those who find themselves in incredibly difficult situations, find themselves in slavery once again. If any, and they're in, um, in verse 12, if any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. And then it's this call to empathy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Remember what the Lord did for you. Remember that you were yourselves in the very same situation that these people find themselves again. They need to be set free. And don't hold that over them. At this point in the sermon, it's kind of like, okay, we are dealing with two different worlds, right? One thing would be to say, okay, we're probably not going to celebrate the Sabbath year anytime soon. Uh, I could talk to the local farmers and say, hey, you know, this is the year that you need to let your land go fallow and not grow anything. I could talk to Mike and Rich and say, sorry guys, you know, you need to shut it down. Uh, I don't know that Mike would go for that. He might take a year off though, that it might sound appealing. But that's not really uh, necessarily wise counsel for our moment right now. And so some of it is to say that the Torah is contextualized. It is for a group of people living in a specific land in a specific time with, within which God is calling them. But there are lessons. Because in each of these lessons, we see a revelation of who God is and what matters to him. And when we read Deuteronomy 15, we should see very clearly that God loves the poor, that God loves the broken, that God loves those who have found themselves in situations that they don't really know how to get themselves out of and they never will get themselves out of the situation that they're in. And so God is issuing a compassionate plea 
for his Israelite people to be a people who care for one another and shine bright for the glory of God. So the question might be, how does Jesus take this? Because Jesus never issues that we need to follow the Sabbath decree of the Sabbath year. But Jesus stands before us and he declares himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus goes to the temple and he declares in the temple in Luke 4 that it is now the year of Jubilee. He doesn't say the word Jubilee there, but he announces that it's the time that the prisoners are set free. It's time that there is forgiveness of debts, that it's time that people would be set free and have new life, that the blind would see. Jesus is announcing and proclaiming that there is something new beginning in him. And the rest of his ministry is a call to care for the poor, care for the broken, to care for the sick, and let them know that there is a new age of a new hope, of a new glory, and it's the kingdom of God. He says this age has broken in. We see this moment happen throughout. You can do go home and, and hop on um, Bible Gateway if you, if you have uh, the internet, and you can hop on Bible Gateway, and you can just type in the word poor and hit search and see how much Jesus deals with the poor. But I'll do that for you right now, a few of the times. There's a special moment uh, between, uh, uh, who, was, who was the little guy that climbed the tree? Can you remind me? Zacchaeus. And just make sure you're paying attention. Yeah, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. The Lord was passing, he wanted, to see the, he wanted to see the Lord, so he climbed the, what's the tree? Sycamore tree, all right, just make sure we're all paying attention. I don't know the significance of the sycamore tree at the moment. But Zacchaeus, he is changed by Jesus, not from his perch on the tree, but when Jesus comes to his home and sits around a table, and Zacchaeus is convicted of the lordship of Christ, and what does Zacchaeus do after he is convicted about who Jesus Christ is? What does he do? Let's speak up. That's all right. What does he do? He he gives it to the poor, and he gives fourfold what he's taken from others. His response to the lordship of Christ is to say, I am in a position to now go and give. He lived his life tight-fisted, and he spent the rest of his life, after knowing who Jesus was, open-handed. There is a special moment between Mary and Martha of Bethany. They are the uh, sisters, the sisters of, who's the guy that Jesus raised from the dead? Lazarus. They're, brothers and, or they're the sisters of Lazarus. And there's this moment in, in John 12 where the disciples are all around the table and Mary comes and she brings a jar of perfume and she pours it over Jesus' feet. She anoints Jesus with all of the oil. She just blesses and anoints and just pours it all out. There's a guy there that uh, is a little greedy. And he speaks up. Who's the guy that speaks up? Judas. Judas, he masks his uh, hard-hearted heart. Say that 20 times fast. Eli took it literally. Thanks, Eli, for the interaction. I appreciate it, buddy. You're paying attention. Judas hides 
his hard-hearted heart, and he masks it with this. He says, why did you do that? We could have sold it. It was a year's worth of wages. I don't think that this is a part of it, but maybe it was. Maybe this was someone who finally understood the Jubilee. Maybe this was someone who finally understood the Sabbath year, and she gave a whole year's worth of her life in glory and splendor and trust in anointing Jesus Christ. And he says, why did you do that? And, the, and John says, well, he reveals that Judas was just this greedy, greedy person who had no intention for good. And Jesus says, and he quotes Deuteronomy 15, he says, there will always be poor among you. I won't always be with you. What this woman has done is good. She's given her all to him. We see over and over again uh, in, Luke's, uh, in Luke's Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain, it's not blessed are the poor in spirit, it's blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. Jesus, over and over again, is interacting with the poor, and he's interacting with the rich, too. We know about the rich young ruler. We know the guy, he, he was living his life really well. Maybe he's living his life like you are. Money in the bank account and really righteous. I know that speaks for most of us, right? And he was getting all of it figured out and all of it was going really well and he talks to Jesus and I think he's thinking, I got it all pretty together, don't I? And then we get the hammer from Jesus and he says, you've done all of those things and that's really great. I'm, I'm proud of you, kudos. Here's your sticker. But now I want you to do what? Give it away. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And did he go home dancing? Did he do the Macarena on the way home? But what did he do? He left sad because he had so much. We may not live in an age in which we need to concern ourselves with the Sabbath year. But we do live in an age in which we need to care for and love one another and care for the hurting and the broken among us. The question really is, is how does, how does the church respond? And I think we know it's that church that started on that very first day on Pentecost. And when they witnessed the Spirit, when they saw Christ, when they saw what community he was forming, what did they do for one another? But they sold their possessions and they made sure there were no needs among any of them. If I haven't said it clear enough, I'm going to say it now. We're called to care for each other. And we can go around life tight-fisted as can be. Or we can be open-handed. We can close our eyes to the problems and the concerns. We can have what Deuteronomy says is an evil eye that's looking out for ourselves and our own self-interest, or we can look to the needs of others and open our eyes to them. We can 
hear the heart of Moses from the spirit of the Lord that's inspired him and the final sort of section of what we're looking at this morning and when Moses just reminds them, remember where you came from. It was a call to empathy. And I don't know if, if you've felt this or not, but it just seems like the, the level of empathy has sort of like dwindled <laughs> dramatically. And as a person who is, uh, I think I'm a pretty empathetic person, it kills me. Because I'm just like, would you just, just for a moment pay attention to someone other than yourself? And it's so hard for us, and I just want us to think about this. What would God do with an empathetic church? Because in an empathetic church, I think, I think what God does with that is we really start, we stop with the charades that we have it all together. Because where there is a lack of empathy, I believe there is a high level of judgment. There is high levels of condemnation. There's high levels of I'm superior and I have it more figured out than anybody else. And so I just beg of you to hear the gospel story again for yourself. Hear the good news that Jesus has come. Jesus has taught us the way of his kingdom. He's opened the door for you to belong. That you yourselves have had been buried in the debt of sin and you are no longer buried in the debt of sin because a debt of sin because Jesus died and he rose from the grave because Jesus was crucified and he's forgiven you because you have new life in him you can have empathy for every single person because God has had empathy for you he has looked at your brokenness he has looked at your sin and he took his sin on himself your sin on himself and he has forgiven you So being generous and being forgiving should pour out of remembering where we come from. Remembering the desperation of our souls. So he calls us to care for one another. To love one another. To open our eyes, to open our hearts, and to open our hands. So I'm going to ask you to do something. And I make my commitment. The Bible tells us not to swear on anything. So I'm going to let my yes be yes, my no be no. When our beloved government passes our $1,400 stimulus checks, oh yeah, right? Instead of going to the casino this time, I'm going to, I'm kidding about that. That was a joke. It was really dry uh, and terrible, I know. I'm going to take a portion of that. One, I'd like to pay off a vehicle, and that would help me a great deal. I'm going to not be stupid, you know. But I'm going to take 10%. 10% for me, 10% for the kids. They don't know it yet, because the kids are going to get $1,400 checks too. I don't know if they know that, that they can like go spend money. If this all happens, but even if not, What would happen if 100 people gave $140 and that fund was designated to say, we're going to make sure that every person in our church family was taken care of? 
that if there was a need, we would take care of it. What would happen if we did that? And they're just going to print the money. They're just, well, they're, I actually, I don't know that they print money anymore. I think they just digitally send it, you know, or whatever. So if you just want to digitally send it, you know, whatever. I'm just kidding around on all that. But if it happens, and even if it doesn't, what would it be like if we made sure that a good part of our church budget was about making sure every need was met? Does it mean taking care of every problem? Maybe, maybe not, but I think the most important thing is how the Bible instructs us here. He says, you know, you don't need to worry about canceling the foreigner's debt. Your primary focus needs to be making sure every need is met in your community. The community of believers. I think we can get a sort of stimulus check for the economy of the church that says, let's let's care for and meet the needs of everyone. And I realize that maybe you're, you need to be on the receiving end of that. I realize that maybe it, it's not you or someone else. But what would happen if we actually started thinking uh, towards these lines? There are people that are truly hurting and truly need help. I heard a handful of that would be awesomes, and I'm going to cling to you people. And for those of you who are hesitant, I understand. It is so easy in all of this, in everything, to be concerned. Concerned about what's happening in the world, concerned about the economy, concerned about all of these things. And I think that this is just a simple way to turn our eyes towards others, to open our hands, and open our hearts. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for how you care for us. And as you plant seeds of encouragement and reminders to us, Lord, of how to be generous and loving, we ask, God, that you would, you would help us to see with open eyes the cause and the needs of the poor among us. Lord, it could be poor and in debt, but it could also be poor in spirit, poor in brokenness, poor in emotions. Lord, it is so easy for us to be low and discouraged. And so we ask, God, that you would turn our hearts towards one another. God, we, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the truth, the fact that we have a sympathetic and empathetic Lord and Savior who knows our sin, who knows our brokenness and our hurt. And God, that we can turn to you and know that you are Lord and you are King and you know everything we're going through. And so Lord, as we share that with you, help us to share it with one another. That we would resist the temptation to go through life alone without the church, without one another, without sharing with each other what we're going through. Lord, pull us from isolation. Bring us together. Help us to hear the the truth of your word. Let it shape our community and our life together. 
We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team comes forward, I just want to offer an invitation that simply to remind ourselves once and uh, forever that, uh, that Jesus is Lord and King. I opened with worship saying that, and I want to end it that way as well, reminding us that our life is in submission to him, that he is our hope and our salvation. If you're wanting to know more about Christ, if you want to dig deeper with him, just please let me know as you're passing uh, by and heading out. But Our hope for you is that you would continue to grow in your walk with him. I know that talking about money is not something that we get all too thrilled about. We don't, it's an off-limits topic. But really, truly, it shows a lot of the state of our heart. Are we thinking of ourselves? Are we thinking of others? I say all of those things, and please don't hear a tone that I don't think that you aren't some of the most incredible givers, and you are an inspiration to me. Thank you for living a generous life. Thank you for your kindness and your love. Let's continue to shine that for one another care for one another as best as we can. Thank you, you're loved. Let's continue in our worship. Will you stand with us in response?